Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Big Time Adulting Podcast. Um, that's my favorite thing to do. I have a very special guest here this week, Mary Saladino. Saladino, Saladino. I really like to say your last name. Um, so do I. Anyway, oh, that's what, that reminds me of like in the movie Elf when Will Ferrell says San Francisco. <laughs> or Francisco, Francisco, Francisco. it's not San Francisco, it's just Francisco, anyway, um, sorry, back to the point of this entire uh, episode here, Mary is the mom of Henry, Um, and if you've been watching me on Instagram over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about Henry quite a bit, Um, I feel like Mary and I came to find each other on purpose, and in the short time we've been communicating, I get emotional because this is just such a touching story. I feel a special bond with Mary. And I think part of what has brought us together is um, though through two very different circumstances, the mutual respect and understanding we both have um, for all it takes to care for a sick child. So Today I have Mary because I wanted to give her an opportunity to share her story through another platform so we can continue to spread the word about Henry. Um, But Mary, before we get started on talking about your little adorable sweetie pie warrior, Henry, I wanted to ask you a little about you and like your hubby, your love story. I just... I love knowing the history of a family and I think other people would too. So tell me, how did you meet your husband and like, when did you cats get married? All of that. Oh, sure. Uh, my favorite story to tell aside from Henry, we were set up by a mutual friend and his wife at a new year's Eve party in 2016. And both of us were apprehensive about attending a party. We definitely didn't want to be set up. We also just love, absolutely love this friend and his wife, but we thought, you know, the chances that they would have the perfect match for us just didn't seem likely. Um, And we told them as much and we, I was cajoled into going and my husband, I think was out to dinner before and a bartender who he knew quite well said, you should just go like, what do you have to lose? So it was a Gatsby themed New Year's Eve party. So I believe I was wearing sequins and I had a feather headband and a fur coat and my husband looked very dapper in a suit and our friend's wife said, oh, there he is. He's over there because we thought he wasn't coming. And I saw him from behind and just like thought, oh my God, he's, he's a tall drink of water. And then we met and my first reaction was he is the hottest man I've ever seen. And oh my gosh, so sophisticated. I'm like, what would he want to do with me? He's also tall. He's like six, four, I'm five, three. So I'm like looking up at him, like, you know, this, I'm so into him, but I don't know if it's mutual. And we spent the whole night just taking in the scene of the party. And my husband's the funniest person I've ever met. And I was just dying of laughter the whole night. And then we started dating. And then two and a half years later, we got married. We had a very quick engagement. We basically just decided to get married. And then we had a very small wedding. We were living in Newport, Rhode Island, and it was just our closest friends and a lovely dinner by the ocean. And we did it. And it was the best day ever. I highly recommend a small wedding if people are deciding. I never thought I would have one, but. I'm sure a lot of people are having small weddings now, right? So that was like 
2018. Yeah. And then, um, and then how long after that till you became pregnant with Henry? So about a year, almost exactly. Okay. Yeah. I was really pregnant at our first anniversary. We'd planned a lovely trip in California. Um, and the entirety of the trip, I was either sleeping, vomiting, or begging him to get, you know, Thai food one night and donuts the other night. So <laughs> the first anniversary we planned on, but it was still fun. Yeah. I mean, wow. Not quite what he expected on there. I, that first trimester yeah. of it's just, it was brutal. I was sick until like a solid 20 weeks, like pretty sick. Wow. Yeah. It was brutal. Yeah. That does. It sucks. I, I, I think I blacked all of that time out. I just do not like that stage. So, okay. So fast forward then. And so Henry's a January baby. Yep. January baby. Just turned two. Yep. And, um, I just want you to kind of like launch into, you know, Henry's born, he's here, and then how things sort of began to transpire. Yeah. So I will share part of a story that we haven't shared online yet, just because I think it's relevant. In the video, we shared that the pregnancy was healthy, which is true. There was no concern for Henry, but I did develop preeclampsia at around 35 weeks. And I was essentially told to stop working when I was 35 weeks. Um, so that was unexpected. So I stopped working and the goal was to just stay relaxed so that I didn't deliver before 37 weeks. And we planned an induction at 37 weeks. The reason that's interesting is because in between that time for 14 days, I was going into the hospital to the labor and delivery center to put the fetal monitor on to make sure Henry was doing fine because it kind of got severe for me. My symptoms got worse. So I knew very well, and so did the nurses, what his heart rate was, and we never had an issue. And then the day that I went in to be induced, his heart rate plummeted so quickly. The second they put us on the monitor, we almost had an emergency C-section. We didn't, it stabilized. Nobody could really say why. And then 48 hours later, the induction failed. We ended up having a C-section. But the doctor came in and said, I have a scheduled one to do first, then I'll do yours. Um, and it ended up that his heart rate plummeted again. And she said, okay, we, we got to go now. When he was born, we heard him cry. So that was good. But I knew something was wrong because they weren't bringing him over to me immediately. I also knew my husband did not know in that moment that something was wrong. So I was staring at him and trying to absorb you know, the last moment of us before we meet our boy and and trying not to pass out because I was not expecting in a C-section how you're 100% aware of what's happening and you're hearing your own blood, you know, and you're seeing it. And I was a little worried why I wasn't holding my baby yet. The nurse finally came over. She said, you know, Henry took breaths when he was born, but then he needed some support. So they had to bag him. And she said, we're just going to observe him for a little bit. I wasn't super worried. Um, They observed him and then we met him maybe within an hour. And then when we noticed a couple of things, when he was being passed off between people, he would get um, stiff and he would kind of hold his breath and turn bluish or his eyes would become fixed. And this happened enough times. I think it was three or four times in the first four hours he was born that the nurses said, something's going on we don't have a NICU here. Let's transfer him to the local hospital. So 
um, they transferred him and they said, we might not have a bed for you. And I said, that's a problem. Like I'm obviously going to go with him. We locked out. There was a bed. We drove an hour and then he was in the NICU for a week. Okay. So that's week one, basically. Yeah. And then you, after that, it sounds, I feel like from what you told me on the story, things kind of progressed fairly normally for a few more weeks after that, when you arrived home. Yep. So they told us after that first week, they did everything, you know, an infectious workup an EEG, an MRI of his brain. They said, everything's normal. We don't know what happened. Um, we all acknowledged something strange happened. They witnessed it again in the NICU while the EEG was on though. So no seizure activity. Um, and they said, just videotape it or call your doctor if something weird happens again. Then we took him home. We had four amazing, normal, snuggly weeks. And then when he was five weeks old, I took him out of the sink. He was having a bath and he, his arms went like up like goalposts and he was stiff and his eyes rolled back and he just was not like with me. He wouldn't snuggle into me. I knew something was wrong. So I put him inside my bathroom because I thought, you know, it's January, even though the heat's on, maybe he's cold. So I wanted to snuggle him. And within a minute, I could see his eyes return and he snuggled me. But I called my husband and I said, like, something's wrong. I've been around tons of babies. I love babies. I have a lot of experience with them. I've never seen this happen before. Like he just wasn't with me. And then we told our pediatrician the next day and she didn't dismiss our concerns, but I think she was trying to reassure us that infants can do odd things. They can have, you know, reflux and arch their back. And she said, if it happens again, take a video and you don't have to call 911 unless he's breathing, but you should drive him to the hospital. And then I think it was three days later, we put him under the plane mat and he had a very obvious 20 minute seizure. Wow. So scary. So scary. So that began like the diagnosis process for Henry and, um, you know, just to kind of skip ahead to where you became aware of Henry's diagnosis, just talk about what his diagnosis is. Yeah. So first I'll say they told us it was benign epilepsy of infancy. And then they knew between age of five weeks of that seizure. And when he was seven and a half weeks old, that two and a half week period, he continued to seize despite being on one and then two anti-epileptic meds. So they suspected the cause was genetic because of the pattern of brain waves shifting in his brain and that it wasn't responding to the meds they would expect. So we took blood at seven weeks. Normally it takes 12 weeks to get a result. We got a result 10 days later. So Henry was nine weeks old and his neurologist who we feel forever indebted to, we love him, called me and said, um, we got results quickly and they're abnormal. And he said, I'm, I'm, it's not typical that I would be the one to share this news with you, but I feel, you know, connected to you guys. If it were me, I would want to know. And he just told me the gene name and the mutation. And he said, the genetic counselor will explain more at your appointment the next day. So I stayed up all night researching and I felt like, um, you know, okay, at least we know the cause. So it's not this mystery why he's having seizures. And I thought that they would still be treatable. I read all about the 10 different diseases associated with Henry's gene mutation. His um, mutation is E815K and his gene is ATP1A3. And I did not know definitively at that point that he would have AHC, but I read about AHC. 
And I was horrified. And when my husband woke up at 4 a.m., I said, I was sobbing and I said, you have no idea. These diseases are so bad. We're so lucky that Henry doesn't have them, that he just has seizures. There's a disease. Kids are paralyzed. They stop breathing. I, I don't even know how their parents can go anywhere and leave them or take them to the grocery store. Like it's horrific. And I said, we have to do something like these kids are our family. Like it's pure luck that they have similar mutations and they have this disease and Henry doesn't you know, I, I felt so lucky. And then we went to the appointment and the genetic counselor was, you know, easing into it, the conversation. And we just had the sense that she, we weren't as sad as she wanted us to be. And we didn't know why. Um, so finally I was feeling impatient. I'm like, what, what, what is it? Like spit it out. You're getting at something. What is it? And she said, if we go based on what we know about science, your son will have a disease called alternating hemiplegia of childhood. And he has the mutation associated with the worst, most severe outcomes. And I knew what that meant because I had read about the disease. So I was taking that in and my husband was asking her questions and she said, you know, I still wasn't fully absorbing it. We weren't, it's hard to, to let that sink in. Right. For some reason I said to her, but he'll drive when he's 16, he'll drive a car, right? And I think that's probably because I was an assistant principal around teenagers every day. And so that was my snapshot of like independence. And she said, no. And then she kind of went back on it and said, well, you know, if you have seizures, you have to be seven years seizure free. And I was like, okay, so we'll treat the seizures. And she said, it's not going to be that simple. And then I could still tell like, what, what am I not getting here? And I said, okay, so he'll need an IEP, you know, an individualized education plan for some support learning or support with medical conditions. And she said, yes. And I said, what else? And then she said, it's likely your son will be in a life skills class. And it was at that moment, I think, because I have a background in education that it sunk in that she feels like AHC will be so severe for Henry that he, you know, will be in a separate classroom and need that level of support you know, to go about his life. And so we were just sobbing. I was holding Henry to my chest. He's nine weeks, like an infant. Yeah. And my husband said, will he experience pain? And I looked at him aghast, like, of course, like, how could you even ask that? Like, of course he won't. And she said, um, we won't, we don't know, but there's one symptom called dystonia, which is painful stiffening of his muscles. And mm. then he would. So and then we were done. We're like, oh, okay, we've had enough of you, of this conversation. You don't know us. You don't know my baby. I think it took all of my self-control not to scream and swear at this lady. Um, and then the genetic- Get her, throw something at her, whatever. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Well, who are you? And how dare you pity my family? Or how dare you have emotion about this? Like, you don't know me. You don't know my baby. Like, there's no right. way. And then the genetic doctor came in and she said, you know, this is tragic. She wasn't saying like, you shouldn't be so sad, but she gave us hope. And she said with diseases this rare, there's such a wide spectrum of um, phenotypes. So we know Henry's genotype or his mutation, but we don't for sure know how he's going to present because we just don't have the data. And she said, you have to just know that it's likely these symptoms will develop. We need to be prepared for them. But right now your baby just has seizures and he's still your baby. Like he's still Henry. So don't right. think he has a disease. 
it, it's normal to be scared, but you have to just know there's a lot of room for hope. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I feel like so many doctors out there are become numbed by everything that they see every day that sometimes they forget that they're talking to a parent and that this is, they can't even put their parent hat on at that point, which is there, you know, I have a lot to say about that as well, but I want to talk about Henry and um, I want to fast forward again to kind of where you're at now. And I want to just say that in the, you know, sort of short time that I've gotten to know you, it is beyond impressive, the amount of work that you've put into fiercely figuring out how to heighten the quality of Henry's life going forward forever. And basically I said to you the other day, you're like the modern day Lorenzo's oil mom. And you were like, I can't, I didn't even watch that movie because I thought it was going to be too sad and it is sad, but it's amazing. Um, and so people who have been following on Instagram may or, you know, if you haven't been and you're just listening now, Mary has tracked down doctors and laboratories to come together in different parts of the country to assemble a treatment for Henry that is specific to his gene mutation that would be definitely life-changing and potentially life-saving for Henry. The fucking insane part about this is that this treatment is going to cost three million dollars and every time I've said that like on Instagram people's minds are exploding like how is this even possible and the way I interpret the way that that's possible that it costs that much money it's because the way drug companies work and stuff which we know about this and the rarity of certain diseases and the money and the funding that you know, rare diseases get versus, you know, not rare diseases is very different. And um, basically it applies to how many lives can be saved by making one drug, right? And how many times can we sell this drug to save lives and make money off of it? And this is very few, right? But when you think about the fact that there is a drug that could actually save Henry and it's there, how could we not do everything possible to get this done? Um, so I just, I want you to like, in a, you know, layman's term, describe a little bit about where you're at with this process now. Yeah. Well, first, thank you for your support and know that I couldn't be in this spot without many other people. So I'm just a mom. My background's in education, high school English teacher, assistant principal. Um, but I was brought into this world because we have another family in our community, Simon Frost and his wife, Nina. They have a daughter, Annabelle. And Simon, I'm really his mentee. He laughs when I say that, but I basically called him up a year ago after my cousin, Rob, who's a scientist in the biotech field, mentioned an AFO, which is short for an antisense oligonucleotide treatment to me. And he said, hey, this has been used to treat some other similar rare, you know, genetic neurological conditions. 
you should reach out to the AHC community and see if there's any research happening. And then I think later that day, I had a call with Henry's neurologist and I asked her, have you ever heard of this? And it is funny, Addie and I, my friend have talked a lot about the word kismet lately. It's funny that I mentioned that to Henry's neurologist. I later learned she was involved in some uh, really historic cases of an ASO treatment being developed for one child. So little did I know this expert is right here. Um, and there's a team at Boston Children's who knows exactly what they're doing. So she said, absolutely, we should consider it. Find out as much as you can. I think it would be a great path for Henry. So then we reached out to our community and Simon came back to me and said, there's no project underway. Let's do it. Can you lead and I'll help you, but you know, you spearhead this, uh, which basically means I'm a project coordinator. It means that he tells me, you know, the right person to talk to and he helps me figure out the right questions to ask. We have a lot of calls, text, emails going to try to coordinate this. But the bottom line is we have enough knowledge with doctors and researchers and labs and the facilities. So we know what to do. There's multiple ways to do it. We're just coordinating all the pieces of the puzzle. Um, ask me another question so I can stay on track. <laughs> well, I think we should, um, you know, just kind of discuss where we're at with this fundraising process. Yep. And now at this point, you know, what we're trying to do in terms of letting people know how they can help find you, find Henry's story yep. and contribute to this process and why it's also important, not just for Henry, that this treatment gets made, but potentially kids within the AHC community. Yeah, so um, the treatment costs 3 million. The first phase costs 1 million, which we would need by July, 2022, but sooner would be better because I have mm -hmm. owing deposits soon. Um, and the treatment is an ASO, which, uh, do you want me to share what it is? Well, in, if you can summarize it for people that don't have a medical background, that yeah. would be better. Okay. I'm going to try to do a laundry analogy because I'm staring at a pile of laundry. So let's pretend that Henry's mutation is a stain on a shirt and a shirt is our gene and a gene is a garment that is part of your body. Uh, any mom or parent would know that uh, you don't know how to treat a stain. It depends on. I see you what you did there with going to parent from no, mom. But I'm my husband thinking. does laundry. He's a better stain remover than I am. Um, <laughs> But it depends. Like if you have a white shirt and you have a raspberry stain, you're probably not going to, you can bleach it. That's easier. So it depends on the color of your shirt or what's going on in your gene and what's going on with your stain or your mutation. So we already have another type of gene therapy called AAV in the works. And that's important to mention because um, it wouldn't be enough for Henry. And the reason is, uh, let's say you have a blue shirt and you have a bleach stain on it. So you have a white stain. Well, you could solve that if you were lucky enough to have more blue dye, you just give more good color or more good copies of the protein to the shirt and you restored it. So AV gene therapy works like that. It gives more good. That's great. The problem is we suspect Henry's mutation or his stain is not just lacking the appropriate good copies of the protein or good color, but it's also taking away from what good proteins are there. So it's subtracting color. So it's almost like a tie-dye stain where you can't just add more color over the tie-dye stain because then it wouldn't be an even pigment. 
you would have to perhaps bleach it first very carefully using a toothbrush so that you have a clean slate or knock down your problem. And then you could add good copies of the protein later. So while that other gene therapy that our foundations Cure AHC and AHCF and Hope for Annabelle are working on, it's an amazing gene therapy. We just worry that when it is ready, it might not be enough for Henry. And we want to make sure we're creating our ASO therapy, which is that knockdown or bleaching therapy first. And it could be later combined with the AAV. So that's where we're at. And we yeah. know, you know where this project's gonna go. We know it's possible. And we know that there's a chance even from the beginning, the um, treatment we make for Henry could work for other kids. We don't know that, but even if it doesn't work for other kids, it's important that we're doing this research to uncover it because we'll answer so many big questions for the entire community by going through this research and we'll establish proof of concept. Mary, how many kids in America have AHC or in the world, if that's a more? Yep, in the world, it's about a thousand. Um, I think it's about three to 400 in America. With Henry's mutation though, that's only 15 to 35% of the population. Off the top of my head, I know of eight other children, um, four or five in the US and three abroad who have it. So it's a very wow. small population. Yeah, super small. But this, um, I think the part of this I keep getting back to is just that there's a dollar amount on a child's life, which just is so, um, you know, infuriating and also motivating in a lot of ways, um, because I feel like there is something that we can do here. So, um, you know, obviously this is an incredibly targeted therapy that Henry needs and you have been working your ass off trying to figure all of this out. I think I retained, you know, 20% of the, (laughs) medical talk about what is going on with Henry, but I, I do understand the concept in general of, you know, an incredibly targeted therapy being expensive, even though I think it's ridiculous and there should be funding for these kids and programs. Um, but just from a, you know, a human perspective as a mom and where you're at now, I mean, your day-to-day life is, uh, incredibly high stress, incredibly scary, um, because at a moment's notice or without a moment's notice, I should say, Henry can slip into a seizure and apnea paralysis that will land you in the ICU or back at the hospital any time of day, any time of night, any day of the week, nothing discriminates what's going on here. So you literally are living on the seat of your pants at all times. It's That's just awful. Exactly it's right. Awful. Yeah. Um, no, no deep breaths to take as a mom. Um, it's just excruciatingly difficult. And and the amount of stress you must feel on a daily basis um, with no reprieve. Yeah. My heart is is broken for, for that part of what you have to go through. Um, because I've been there for a short period of time, thank God, you know, we're out of that, um, part of what Callum went through. 
but I want to ask you as a, a person going through this, how do you keep going for somebody who might be going through a really difficult diagnosis or just a, uh, do you have anything that you do to stay in the moment or just keep yourself putting one foot in front of the other? Um, I would say Henry just helps me to rise above. You know, we had this, I think staying focused on your kid really helps me kind of get out of myself. So I just want to make sure that even though we know the things he experiences are traumatic, he doesn't know it yet. This is his life. So we try to normalize it and make it seem like we're going to see our friends or here our buddies, the firefighters are coming and, you know, thank God he doesn't find the back of an ambulance to be scary. He flirts with everybody back there and, you know, he's at home in a hospital room for better or for worse. I think it's for better right now. I would say just focusing on that is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And early on in our journey, another rare disease mom said to me, just know that there will always be joy. And that was before I even knew there was a hope for a treatment. And that has stuck with me. And another thing, another rare disease mom said is just remember your bad days aren't your good days. So when you're in the worst of it and you start to fear, you know, fear and feel like that's your new normal, remember that's the worst of it. And you hope to God, there's going to be another side. Our fear is really that not only, you know, is my nurse going to come up here with Henry right now and say, he's not breathing, he's seizing, or he's paralyzed, but it's a, will he come out of it? Or will this be the one that we can't get him out of? And he'll suddenly will lose him, which terrifies me. I can't even think about it or he'll come out of it, but will he come out of it with the same skills or will this cause regression, which he already worked so hard for his skills we'll be back at square one or two, or will this cause permanent regression? It's, it's a terrible place to live in, but just trying to normalize it and think about making it normal for Henry. And then remembering that there is joy and there is every day there's joy with Henry, even on our worst days. Yeah. And I think what you said there is sort of the point of why we need anyone and everyone to help who can help right now. Um, donate money now because time is of the essence for Henry. And, you know, I've tried to begin an initiative for kids donating their allowance. Um, I'm going to share about this more on my Instagram page. I'm going to be asking others with large accounts that I know to continue sharing about Henry. But Mary, um, in the meantime, if somebody wants to go and find out more about you and Henry, where, where can they find you on Instagram? Yes. We're online on the World Wide Web. World Wide Web. Henry's website is www.forhenryahc.org. And his Instagram is forhenryahc. He also has a Facebook page for henryahc. And our website has my email at the bottom. You can link right to it. I'm going to share all of those websites and your Instagram information on the show notes here um, for anyone who wants to go and do a deep dive. But Mary, I just want to say I'm so honored to have met you and now feel like I know you a little bit. And I look forward to the day that I get to wrap my arms around you in person, give you a hug. Well, we are so grateful that you've connected with our story and our boy. And I do think it's kismet. And I'm grateful for your story with your boy, because I'm pretty sure you have a big heart, but if you had not walked that path, you might not know 
the path that we're on. So we're so grateful for you and helping us get the word out. Thank you, Mary. And I will be speaking with you pretty much daily. So that's great. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Sharing and donating. It's really just about getting the word out. However, we it can. is. Yeah. Spread the word people. If you're listening now, get online and send this shit out. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, Mary. Bye.